Good morning. Happy New Year. Can I get a Happy New Year from you back today? Let's go. Happy New Year. 2022 is upon us. Can we make a little noise? Who's excited for 2022 today? Yeah, it's a good Good day to be in church. If we haven't met before, my name's Tyler. I do get to be the pastor here at Anastasis, and I'm really, really grateful you're with us today. It's cold outside. It's icy outside. It's January 2nd. You braved all of those elements to make it to church today, and I'm really, really grateful that you did. I said it earlier, but I believe it, and I mean it. I don't think that there is a better place to be on a Sunday morning, and especially as we start the new year, than in church, fixing our eyes on Jesus, getting our perspective right as we jump into this brand new year. And how many of you have felt like that video before? It's like, this this year, it's all going to be different, right? This year is my year. This year, everything is going to change. Has anybody ever felt like that before? Show of hands. Okay. Yes. Like I think we've all had some anticipation going into the new year. I have a more personal question. Has anybody made any new year's resolutions this year? I've made a couple things that I want to focus on some goals, but anybody make some resolutions? Come on. Anybody in the room? Nobody. Okay. Well, then that rules out my next question, which is like, who broke their resolution already? Um, we don't have any of those today, but it's one of those things. The new year brings this excitement, right? The new year brings this anticipation, this idea that like maybe things will be dramatically better this year. And I do believe that while our circumstances may take time to change, that while things around us may evolve a little more slowly than we would like them to, the reality is if we keep our perspective fixed on Jesus, each and every year and each and every day that we face has the opportunity to be a tremendous day where we find ourselves bearing gratitude, thankfulness, and having the right perspective. And so we're going to talk about that today as we jump into today's message. But before we do so, let's pray together. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for who you are. You're faithful and you're good. Lord, I pray that in these moments that we share, Lord. Um, that you just be present, God, and that we would recognize you. Father, I pray over the words that I'm about to speak. Lord, I pray that they'd be the ones that you want spoken. Lord, the words you don't want spoken, please omit those from my vocabulary today. God, I pray that only what you want heard today would be heard in everything we do and not detract from who you are, but point everybody right to your heart and who you are. I ask for all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And so today, as we start our brand new year, we're actually going to look at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. In fact, this is the very beginning of his ministry. This is before he even assembles his 12 disciples. We're going to the very, very, very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And if you remember in the last series when we talked around Christmas, we talked about a baby that was going to be born by a lady named Elizabeth, and she was Mary's relative. Well, today we're going to look at that story a little bit as it impacts Jesus' ministry. And Elizabeth is pregnant with a baby who has a calling to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry to start. And his name is John, and he would become known as John the Baptist because he would be preaching and teaching people about repentance, turning from their sins. And his symbol for that, the thing they would do for that, is to be baptized. They would go down under the water, symbolizing that the old life is gone, and they would come out of the water, symbolizing that the new life has come, that they're going to step into a new life following God, repenting from their sins and turning away from the life that they were living. And all of this is in preparation for Jesus' coming. And you may not be aware, you may not know, but the word repent doesn't just mean like to say, I'm sorry, I need, I need forgiveness, I'm sorry. It literally means like a full turn from your sins. 
to walk a different direction, to spend a to go a different direction with your life and with your actions. So when Jesus, or when John's making this call, hey, come and repent, turn from your sin. He's literally saying, turn your lives away from your sin, orient your life in a completely different direction. This is what you need to do. So he's telling them to do this. He's telling them to turn from their sin and begin following God. And there are some who believe that John might be the Messiah. And so he wants to clear that up. And he says this, Hey, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he is coming after me. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. A couple of things stuck out to me as I just read those two small verses when I was preparing this week. The first thing is, um, John knows his role, his role. John knows his place. He's embraced his calling. He's not trying to convince people that he's the Messiah. He doesn't wish that he was the Messiah. He's not asking for a different calling. He's good with what his is. And his is to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And I think there's some of us who we might know what our calling is. We might receive something from God and we want something else. Our perspective and our eyes get fixed in a different direction. It's like, well, that's cool and stuff, but I would rather it be this instead. What we're seeing here from John is saying, hey, I know who I am. I know who I've been created to be. I know what my purpose and my role is. My job is to prepare the way for the Messiah. I'm not him. And I want to make it abundantly clear to all around. There's one coming who I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. I'm not worthy to clean his shoes. I'm not worthy to do anything in comparison to who he is. And like I said, our perspective is paramount on this. God has given each of us a calling and a purpose for our life here on earth. And having the right perspective of who God is will give us the right perspective and appreciation for what he's called us to do. If you have that perspective right, you won't find yourself envying somebody else's calling. You won't find yourself wishing for something different. And I believe that that perspective is going to deliver gratitude to our hearts and to our lives. So that no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, you'll be grateful for a God who loves you, who created you, and who called you. So John is speaking of the one who is to come, and here he comes. He's speaking of Jesus, and Jesus walks in. Matthew 3, 13 through 17, it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so. Now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Um, there are moments in Scripture that I read about, and I just wish I was alive to witness. Or I wish I could get in a time machine, just like enter into the background, like nobody noticed this dude wearing skinny jeans, doesn't match at all the culture of the day, right? Like they've got their clothes. I jump out, and I'm just hanging out in the background watching this amazing scene unfold, right? Like as you read this, John's baptizing people. He's preaching about repentance. He's telling them there is one who is to come. And then the one he's talking about walks up. And he's like, hey, can you baptize me? And John's like, what? Like, no, actually, you should baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm setting something up here. This is the way it's supposed to be. And so John, rightfully nervous and submissive, does what Jesus asks him to do. 
And Jesus knows what he's doing. He's setting an example for all future believers. He's saying, hey, go and be baptized. He's going to talk about that later in his ministry. When he ascends into heaven, he gives a charge to his disciples. He says, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded of you. Being baptized is a very, very, very important part of our walk with Jesus. But he's also setting the stage for the scene that's about to take place. Because as he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then the voice of God the Father speaks out loud to all who are in attendance. They would have heard what God said. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so as I read this, I'm like, man, I wish I was there that day, right? To to see this miraculous, amazing thing unfold. Here walks the Messiah. God the Father shouts that it's the Messiah to all in attendance. It must have been an unbelievable thing that was happening. And when that happened, it affirmed something. It affirmed John's ministry. Hey, what you're doing is legitimate. You are preparing the way for Jesus. Look, here he is. But the other thing it did was it pulled everyone's perspective off if they were wondering if John was the Messiah onto Jesus is the Messiah. God the Father just spoke it out loud from the heavens. And I often read scripture and I think about it in our context today too. And I wonder, you know, if that would have happened today, like smartphones would have popped out. There would have been videos on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, like all over the place. Jesus' life actually following this moment would have been significantly less complicated of people questioning whether or not he's the son of God. Because we would have literally had like 65 videos from 65 different angles with the voice of God saying, this is my son, right? Like it would have been unbelievable. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. So Jesus' ministry from this point forward, there are Pharisees and Sadducees there that day who heard this, but there are many who are going to cause him trouble as he moves forward. But Jesus is confident in something, and this is where we're going to go today. Jesus is confident in his identity. Jesus knows who he is. God the Father shouted it out loud, not so that Jesus would be affirmed, but so that everyone else could hear it and know this truly is the Messiah. This is my son. And so Jesus starts his public ministry in an amazing an interesting way. As the story continues on, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Um, I read that, and I'm like, that's an understatement. <laughs> fasted 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, Matthew, you're a man of few words. And uh, it's an interesting start, right? It's a very interesting start to the Messiah's ministry. Just like his birth, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, his birth was not accompanied by this massive fanfare or feasting. His baptism and start to his ministry begins then, after his baptism, in isolation with no fanfare and no feasting. Like there's nothing going on to celebrate that moment post-baptism. He comes out of the water, everything happens, and then he goes immediately into the wilderness and fasts so that he can prepare for his temptation and testing by the devil. So let's read this again. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him. Hold on to that. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word used, the name used for Satan in this passage is so interesting to me. It calls him the tempter. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, the story we talked about in the last series, what happened? 
he tempted Adam and Eve, right? He tempts Eve with the fruit. And she eats and she gives it to Adam and Adam eats and sin enters the world. So his name used here is tempter, meaning Satan's already got a reputation. Everybody knows who he is and what it is that he does. He's a manipulator. He is a tempter. And this time the temptation for sin is going to come in the form of Jesus needing to defend his identity. Satan states, hey, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So Jesus is hungry, 40 days, no food, 40 nights, no food, and Satan starts by attacking him in two spots. He starts with his identity. He says, hey, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, hey, prove it, if you are the son of God. And then he attacks his physical need. He understands that Jesus is hungry. So the the second part of that temptation is, hey, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself. You're hungry. Just show me. Like, like if you're the son of God, you can do it. We both know you can do it. Do it, Jesus. And so you have this moment where Jesus is hungry, 40 days no food hungry, and Satan starts by attacking him in those two spots. But Jesus responds by saying to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is, is secure. He's got a strong foundation in who he is. It continues on in verse 5, and it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there it is again, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So Satan is quoting directly from Psalm 91. This is like one of the most famous psalms in the history of all of Scripture. He's quoting directly from Psalms 91, and Satan is trying to bait him into doing something. Satan knows Scripture, too. And I think that's something important for us to understand. The reason he's the tempter, the reason he's a manipulator, is because in every one of his lies, there's a little bit of truth. In every one of his lies, there's a little bit of fact. And the reason that it's there is because if it was completely out of left field, none of us would ever fall for the lies of the enemy. But because it's laced with a little bit of truth, we're able to see, oh, well, hold up. For those of us who aren't Jesus, well, hold up. Is that right or is that right or should I do this or should I not do this? In that moment, Satan is replying to Jesus with scripture. But I love what Jesus says to him. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so Satan tries to bait him into sinning by attacking his identity. If you are the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down. We both know that the angels are going to save you. Do it, Jesus. I dare you. And this is why knowing scripture is important. Because Jesus understood, hey, listen, I, I know you're manipulating that, but let me respond to you with like dropping the hammer and dropping the mic here because I'm going to affirm my own identity. I'm going to affirm my own identity as God in the flesh, God's son, by saying, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Hey, Satan, I'm the Lord your God, okay? Lord, your God. Knock it off, Satan. I'm in charge. I still run this show. In case Satan forgot, Jesus is reminding him who he is and who's in charge. Verse 8 says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. And Jesus is 40 days, 40 nights, no food, hungry. So I imagine they came with all the meatball subs in the world. Jesus got replenished, strength back on his way. And I think this scene is absolutely amazing. As we close today, there's a couple of thoughts that I have. The first thing is this. Jesus knows who he is. He knows who he is. He's the son of God. He's not going to worship Satan to acquire something he already has. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Of heaven and earth. So anything that Satan's going to show him, Jesus is like, listen, you think you own that, but you don't. It's mine. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I know who I am. And Satan attempts to to attack his identity a third time through the temptation of goods and power. Hey, I can give you this power. I can give you these goods. You need me, Jesus, is the temptation that's coming along here. But Jesus knows his power. Jesus knows his calling. And Jesus also knows how to prepare for the test. So let's go back to the beginning. In preparation for the test, what does he do? He fasts 40 days and 40 nights. Without food, rejecting the temptation to quit the fast at every hunger pang, at every moment that he could easily have gotten off the path. We have to remember something. I bring that up because of this. Jesus is fully man, fully divine. Okay, he experiences all the pain, all the anguish, all of the difficulties that we would have experienced in our bodies today. Yet he does so sinlessly because he's the perfect son of God, God in the flesh. And so he's modeling for us what our response should be. You see, the truth is in 2022, just like Jesus was tempted and tested and tried, you are going to be tempted, tested, and tried. Like the enemy is going to try to throw you off balance. It's not something that should be a surprise to us. This is just the reality. The enemy comes for one purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. Like that's his motive. That's his goal. But Jesus came so that we could have life and life to the full, life more abundantly. And so as we look into 2022, we have to be wise and say, listen, I've got all this anticipation and expectation and desire and focus for what is going to happen. And I cannot wait for 2022, but I also need to be prepared for what could come that I'm not ready for yet. The reality is the enemy wants to deceive you. He wants to deceive all of us. He's going to come and attack our identity in the same ways that he attacked Jesus' identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, so come like this. Hey, does God really love you? I mean, how could he, right? We both know the mistakes that you've made. What if everyone knew what you did? Would they love you? You know what? You should probably just stay hiding. That's better. Stay in isolation. Or he might come to attack your needs, saying, hey, if you're lonely, this person, they're going to fill your void. Or if you're depressed, this alcohol will help. Maybe these pills, they might solve your problem. If you're in a relationship, God, he might say, hey, does God really want you to wait until you're married to be intimate with this person? Or if you're married, he'd be like, hey, does your spouse actually love you? Or are they really meeting your needs? If you're single, he might be like, hey, what are you waiting for? Put yourself out there. Play the field. Try it out. Financially, you might be sitting there going, Hey, well, maybe this, this will make me happy, right? And the enemy's like, absolutely. Don't pay attention at all to the financial hardship that could come from what you're about to do. Do what makes you happy. In fact, don't even be generous. What you have, you've worked for. It's yours. You own it. And if we're not, if we're not rooted, and if we're not careful, his schemes, his lies, they'll work. They'll work. 
They'll throw us off balance and we'll find ourselves in moments going, does God really love me? I don't know, maybe I've messed up too much for his grace. If you feel like that today, I want to tell you this right now. There is nothing you've done that God can't redeem you from. You cannot outrun his love for you. Nothing. Hold on to that, nothing. If you find yourself in a place today where you're like, I just, I walked into church today. It took every bit of strength. I want you to know that God is elated that you're here. He's not upset with you. He's not angry with you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. But if we're not rooted in who God is and who he created us to be, if our perspective is not right, we'll give in to temptation, into lust, into fear, to anxiety, to depression. We'll give in to Satan, to the father of lies. But if we begin our year the way Jesus did, I believe that our roots will grow deeper, allowing us to withstand and blossom through the testing and through the trial. And for some of us, 2022 is going to be the year that we're going to get rooted. We're not just going to say that we believe something, but we're going to show that we believe something through the way that we live our lives. Our faith will be put into action. And as I was thinking about this message this week and preparing for it, it became clear to me that our perspective in our relationship with God accomplishes two things. It runs two different ways. The first way is, as we fix our eyes on God, we just gain a proper and healthy perspective of who he is. But as our perspective of God gets right, and as we gain a healthy perspective of who he is as a holy, gracious, mighty, powerful, loving father, the perspective of how he feels about us or how he sees us gets right too. And so we gain this perspective. No longer is it just, does God like me? Does he love me? Does he hate me? What is the deal? I don't know. Where do I stand with him? As we get our perspective right, recognizing his character and who he is, we then see how he sees us as well. As his children, that he loves dearly, that he provides for, that he's faithful to, that he'll never leave or forsake. And so we fast like Jesus did to get our perspective right. I'm not asking you to go 40 days and 40 nights, no food. Um, But we're going to give up something to get our perspective right, to fix our eyes on God, to prepare for the trials that are to come. And as our perspective is right, we'll see God for who he is. Gracious, loving, powerful, holy, and mighty. Isaiah 40, 28 and 29 says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the creator. There is no one like him. And the Bible says that as we fix our eyes on him, or as we place our trust in him, that he will give us strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That even youths will grow tired and weary and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope, but those who hope, but those who place their trust, those who place their whole life in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. For the Lord will be with you. He'll be with you. He'll be with you. Whatever you face in 2022, he will be with you through it all. He will renew your strength. He will give you new strength, better strength, strength that only comes from him as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because as you align your focus on him, you will recognize who he is. And you'll recognize how he sees you. The Apostle Paul writes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
There's three names there that the Apostle Paul assigns to you. And I believe this is what God says about you. You're his chosen ones. You're holy and you're beloved. He's chosen you. He's called you. He loves you. He calls you holy. You're spotless. You're blameless. You're clean in his sight. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made, the old life has gone. Your sin has been washed away. Your shame is not in charge anymore. God sees you as holy. And you're beloved, meaning he loves you so deeply. He's excited to see you. He cares for you like crazy. And Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says, but you're a chosen people. There it is again. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were, a pe- once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When the enemy comes calling in 2022, let him know that you are chosen, holy, and beloved, that you belong to God, and that he loves you. But in order for us to best handle the challenges that are coming in 2022, we have to prepare. We have to be strategic. We have to be serious about it. Nothing good happens by accident. Um, I worked for a pastor who once said everybody ends up somewhere, but only a few end up somewhere on purpose. And the reality of that is true. Where our attention is, where our focus is, matters greatly. Because it's going to determine our perspective. The perspective of who God is and how God sees us. So, as a church, we're going to prepare for 2022 by fasting for 21 days, starting next Sunday, January 9th. And it's something I want to invite all of you to jump in on. I think it's going to be a powerful, powerful time. We're going to, we're, we'll, we have a bunch of different resources up on our website about this and different fasts that you can partake in for different ideas, whether it's like the Daniel fast, you're going to give up certain things or technology fast, certain things like that. Obviously, some of us have dietary restrictions and we want to be safe and we want to be smart, but at the same time, we want to be intentional and we want to do something that fixes our attention on Jesus. So we're going to fast for 21 days starting next Sunday, January 9th. And as you fast, you're going to pray. You're going to ask God to reveal himself to you in 2022 to affirm your identity in him and to guide you through this year with grace and with wisdom. Because the truth is, God created you on purpose for a purpose. But the enemy would love nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy what God has called you to. But our God is greater. He is stronger, and he is fighting for you. So we say it a lot around here, but your job as we enter 2022 is obedience. Your job is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Your job is to respond to the voice of God in obedience. His job is outcome. We've got dreams. We've got goals. We've got aspirations. We've got things we want to accomplish. But it starts with getting our perspective right and being obedient, taking a step of faith and trusting God with the outcome. The things you can't control, you can't control. But the thing you can control is your obedience. So, you can't create the outcome, but you can always control your obedience. So as we begin 2022, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and allow God to do what only he can do. Let's pray together.